last week, I said that, that Jesus is who it's all about. Everything hinges on Jesus, that Jesus is our advocate before God. He's the one who stands before God on our behalf. And uh, if you were here that week that we talked about Jesus as the propitiation, that he is, he's the one who takes our sin offering on himself. Um, John, John wanted the believers to be certain about Jesus. He wanted them to be certain about how to live, what that looked like. And if you were here during those weeks, um, Buzz talked about what it looked like to love other people, that, that, that there's a clear call from John, that followers of Jesus love people. That uh, Chris talked, if you were here on that week, uh, what, what's it mean to be certain about how to live? It means to obey God's commands, not as a way to earn our, any kind of salvation, but simply as a response in, in our love to Him, that, that we want to obey. We understand that, that God has, has written the, the plan, the, given us the blueprint, and so we want to obey. And, um, and Jake, uh, Jake shared um, what, how, about how to live. We live as children of the King that we're God's children, that we have uh, responsibilities, we have rights as kids that are, that are incredibly cool. And today we're going to talk about um, John's desire, it's a, it's a thread that's woven throughout the book of 1 John, about being certain about eternity. Now, um, if you think about eternity, if you think about heaven, it was so, so cool to have the message in my mind and to listen through all of the songs that we sang this morning that pointed to eternity. Um, when I was in high school, I, I think I was really first exposed for the first time to Negro spirituals, and, and, um, and I, they were really, really cool, and there's a theme that's woven in lots and lots of spirituals. It's this theme of heaven. I remember singing a song called Steal Away, an old Negro spiritual, Steal Away to Jesus. Um, swing, uh, swing Low Sweet Chariot, it's a, a spiritual that takes you there. It's not just limited to spirituals, though. It's, it's really in, um, in music of the church uh, forever. There have been songs about heaven. And if, if you can think in your mind, if you grew up in the church, there are lots of songs about heaven that come to mind. Um, if you didn't grow up in church, you're going to experience a weird cultural experience right now because here's, here's what we're going to do. I asked Jamie to come out, and, and um, if you know these songs... Jump in and sing along. Uh, for some of you, they will touch a, a real tender place in your heart. Sing them out. Go for it. Um, if you don't know them, smile and nod, okay? That, that'll be good. So uh, 1898, a, a, a woman named Eliza Hewitt wrote this song about heaven that, that uh, man, I've sung it all my life. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, He'll prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. We all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory, shout the victory. How many of you remember that? Good stuff, yeah. You know, you jump a generation ahead, and if you're from Appalachia, Appalachia, you'll recognize this song about heaven. 
some glad morning when this life is all I'll fly to a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. Some of you have sung that before. Uh, you, you jump a couple more generations ahead, and the, and the song in contemporary Christian music that was the song of the decade for the 90s, um, an interesting song about heaven with some interesting theology, okay? Sounded like this, Audio Adrenaline. Come and, and go, go with me, me to my father's house. house. Come and, and go with me to my father's house. house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. A big, big table, lots and lots of food. A big, big yard where we can play football. A big, big house, it's my father's house. Yeah, good times, right? Good times. You go... Um, into the 2000s, and there's a song that's still a part of our culture, not just in the church, but it's a song that was recorded by Mercy Me. One of the guys in Mercy Me wrote it when his dad died, and it's a song that just expresses an incredible truth about heaven. I can only imagine when my eyes will see when your face is before me only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Oh, in all you be still, will I stand in your presence? To my knees will I fall, will I sing hallelujah, will I be able to speak it all I can only imagine, yeah, I can only imagine. Thank Jamie, if you would, for coming up and be a part of stuff today. Since Jesus ascended into heaven. Christ followers have been looking forward to the day, to the time where we enter eternity. In our culture, everyone, really, everyone's convinced that there's heaven, that that's where they're going, right? Every funeral I've ever been to, any funeral I've ever been a part of, uh, someone always says, oh, they're in a better place. That's a dangerous thought, isn't it? Because it doesn't match what Jesus said. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven... 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many mighty works in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We have, we have both from Scripture and this innate sense inside us that there is something on the other side of death, that there is this place called heaven that's for rest and reward. And there's also this place of eternal pain and punishment that Scripture describes, calls hell. In us, there's that, that sense of reality for that. It's there in Scripture as well. Who doesn't want rest and reward rather than pain and punishment? That's an easy thing. And for us as followers of Jesus, we, we look and we listen, we sing about heaven And yet there is this awareness in ourselves of our own sinfulness, right? We can compare ourselves to others and say, oh, I'm better than that person, so certainly I'm going to go to heaven. Or uh, I I know that that I'm not as bad as them, and, and so I'm going to be in good shape. I've helped lots of people. It's going to be okay. But we know in our gut our weakness and our failings. We know that there is this Jekyll and Hyde in us and that, that, that Mr. Hyde, as much as we try and squelch him, as much as we try and contain him in our nature, he keeps trying to pop out and take control. That uncertainty that we sense today is the same uncertainty that was there in the first century as John wrote. And he, he wanted to communicate a certainty about eternity to Jesus' followers. He says this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, we can know we have eternal life. We can know we have eternal life. This is, this is 1 John 5, 13. My purpose in writing, John says, is simply this, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion. If you've you've got that tension in you, John says, I'm writing so that you can know absolutely that you have eternal life. Earlier in his letter, he had written this in 1 John chapter 2, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Let what you heard live in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise the Father made to us, eternal life. Jesus said in John 14, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Don't miss this truth. We can know, we can know we have eternal life. It's a promise from God. That's part of why John wrote this letter. The second thing that I I just want you to get a, a hold of is this. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid about death, about eternity. A chapter earlier in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, this is the message translation of this. God is love. 
When we take up residence, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God and God lives in us. This way, love has run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us so that we're free of worry on judgment day. So that we're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There's no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling a fearful life. Fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. You understand, we don't need to fear death because of Jesus' promises. We don't need to fear death if we have the right relationship with Jesus. Lots of people have a relationship with Jesus. They kind of know about Him, right? Lots of people have grown up in the church. Lots of people have had that kind of experience. They've got this casual relationship with Jesus. Several weeks ago, Chris told the story about um, meeting Zac Efron on the beach in California. And Chris says, I have a relationship with Zac Efron. If you're really old, Zac Efron's an actor that's young and... um, the girls think he's hot and all that stuff, right? Okay, so, so Chris has this relationship with Zac Efron because he met him and talked to him for five seconds. On the other hand, there's this little girl named Riley whose dad is incredibly famous. Her, her dad was the MVP of the NBA for the last two years, Riley Curry. Riley has a relationship with her father that allows her access to him any time of night or day, virtually. Um, if you watch the NBA Finals, she was a part of nearly every post-game interview that Curry did. She was the star of it all. Why? Because she has a relationship with him. As his daughter, she can be in his presence anytime she wants. He has a deep love for her. John says that if we love Jesus... If we have this deep abiding relationship with him, we don't need to fear judgment. We don't need to fear death Um, because death is the entrance for us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'll get to be in his presence forever because of the doorway of death. That eternal connection, that eternal relationship, that that presence with Him is what we were made for. That's the relationship that our spirit longs for. One of the guys in our life group a couple of weeks ago, we were talking through the message. um, Our life group, uh, be sure and hit Life Group Connect today. Um, In our life group, we talk through the messages each week. It's a a really, really uh, good time. One of the guys in our group says, We've, we've got the wrong idea about death. We, we're, we fear death. We avoid death. We want to do everything that we can to avoid death. And we miss it because death is what allows us to be in Jesus' presence forever. What, what a great concept. Max Lucado is a writer and a pastor in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, it, he, he wrote this a number of years ago. One of our church members asked me to speak at the funeral of his mother. Her name was Ida Glossbrenner, but her friends called her Polly. Her son told me his mother had been unresponsive the last few hours of her life. She she never spoke a word. But moments before her death, she opened her eyes and in a clear voice said, My name is Ida Glossbrenner, but my friends call me Polly. 
Meaningless words of hallucination? Perhaps. But perhaps more. Perhaps Ida was at the doors of heaven, her soul in the presence of God, and she was getting acquainted with the saints of eternity. In 2010, Thomas Nelson Publishers published a book that became a New York Times bestseller. Four years later, in 2014, the book was made into a movie that grossed over $90 million in the U.S. Heaven is for Real is the story of Colton Burpo, a four-year-old who had an emergency appendectomy. After the surgery, he began to tell his parents about going to heaven during the surgery, about meeting his sister who had died in a miscarriage that his mother had never told him about, about meeting his great-grandfather, great-grandfather who had died 30 years before Colton was born, and Colton later recognized him in a photograph. He talked about meeting Jesus and sitting in his lap. What Colton described was a relationship, a love that transforms lives. If we fear death, it may be because we don't have the relationship with Jesus, the love that John talks about, that God designed for us to have. Our concept of death is consumed by grief, by seeing things from our perspective, by seeing death as a loss of life here on earth. It's kind of like complaining about your bike being taken away and being given a brand new Porsche or Lamborghini instead. Are there places you can go on a bike that you can't on a, on a, in a Lamborghini? Yeah, there are, but who would want to, right? That's the question. When the wife of Charles Henry Brent died and he was overwhelmed with grief, he wrote the following words. I'm standing on the seashore. A ship sails to the morning breeze and starts for the ocean. She's the object of beauty and I stand watching her until at last she fades on the horizon. And someone at my side says, she's gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that's all. She's just as large in the mast, hull and spars as she was when I saw her, and just as able to bear her load of living freight to its destination. The diminished size and total loss of sight is in me, not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says, she's gone, there are others who are watching her coming, and other voices take up the glad shout, there she comes. There she comes. John, in trying to describe the vision that he had of heaven, wrote these words. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
for the older order of things has passed away. John says the place God lives will be among his people. He will be there with us in a way that he's not been able to since the Garden of Eden. He will be with us and will be with him. It's not that there won't be any tears. It's that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There won't, however, anymore be death or weeping or pain. Did you see at the beginning of that passage in Revelation 21 that John says, there will be no more sea? That's always been interesting to me. In the first century, what did the sea represent? The sea represented separation, uncertainty, oftentimes disaster. You hopped on a ship and you didn't know when you were going to get back to that place again. It represented attacks from enemies and from pirates. Being on a ship puts you in the place of uncertain weather, of being out of control because everything depended on the wind. John says it's not going to be that way anymore. You don't need to be afraid. For you who have experienced the death of a friend or a family member recently, maybe for you who are anticipating the death of a loved one, listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. He said, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. If you're a follower of Jesus and you die, and the community of believers grieves your death, they still grieve that loss, that separation, that distance that exists until heaven, but they don't grieve as those who have no hope. If you have a a family member that's died in Jesus, you don't need to grieve as those who have no hope. Death to me is kind of like the first ride a person ever takes on an airplane. Do you remember that experience? Is it scary? Absolutely. You look at that plane and you think, how is that ever going to get in the air? Do you think, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this? Yeah, you think that. Are you white-knuckled at both the takeoff and the landing? Absolutely. If there's turbulence while you're in the air and the plane's bouncing around, is it overwhelming? Absolutely. But when you land at your final destination... Are you concerned about the flight anymore? Not at all because you've arrived where you intended to go from the beginning. Third point that I, just, uh, that, I, that I want you to just think about today. How can you be certain about what you'll experience after death? How can, John says, um, eternities, uh, we can be sure about eternity. How can you be certain about what you'll experience After death, John wrote this in chapter 5, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever doesn't believe God has made him a liar because he hasn't believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son. 
Understand this, eternal life can only come through Jesus. Just a few verses earlier, he said, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that's overcome the world, your faith. In order to be certain about, about your life, your eternal destiny, you've got to be born of God. It's not something that you can do by yourself or on your own. It can only come through faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not as a result of works. You can't earn your way so that no one can boast. Only through Jesus can we have that certainty. John said in a message that that Jake preached several weeks ago, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. That is what we are. If you've been born of God, if you're a child of God, there are certain characteristics that stick with you. Listen to these from, from 1 John. The children of God practice righteousness. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29 says this, If you know that Jesus is righteous, you can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him, born of Jesus. Children of God don't make a practice of sinning. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He can't keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Children of God love others. Uh, Beloved, let us love one another. Love's from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God God, because God's loved. Uh, 1 John chapter 3 Children of God love the brothers, they love the church. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever doesn't love abides in death. If you're a child of God, you don't love the world. Chapter 2, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. All that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And if you're a child of God, you've overcome the world. Chapter 5, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You know, we've been talking for a number of weeks, for a couple of months, about what it means to walk in the light. And if I can, just one last time, I want to use the the light imagery. Understand that walking in the light, walking in the light, God is the one who gives us that light. And there's not anything that we can do to change the light from God. Not anything that we can do. We're going to walk in the world that God created. The question is whether we're going to pay attention to that light. Because we can walk with our eyes wide open, walk in the light and live in the light. Or we can choose to put on sunglasses, right? And it changes, it changes the world around us. It changes the way that we act and the way that we live and what we can see. As we put on sunglasses, as we choose to not walk in the light, um, we don't change the light, we change our perception of the light. Some of us, 
even try and block everything out completely. It doesn't change the light. And here's the challenge for us one last time. The call is that we're to walk in the light. Do you fear death? We don't need to. We don't have to. We don't have to be afraid because death is our entrance to eternity. If you're prepared, what's on the other side is so much better than what we have now. If you're not prepared, let me just say to you, the time is now. Decide today that your relationship with, with Jesus will not just be a piece of your life, it will be the piece in your life. There's an opportunity for you today to just say, God, I want that. I want to have that kind of relationship. I, I want the experience of, of living with Jesus. I want to walk in the light on a daily basis. If you would, um, let's uh, just shut your eyes for a second and, and, and let, me, let me talk. Um, there is, if, if you don't have that kind of relationship, you don't have that kind of relationship and you want to, I want to give you just a second to talk to God and say, God, I, I, I'm anxious about death. I'm scared on, of what's on the other side. I'm, I don't have confidence in my relationship with you and I want to. So, so here's where I am, Lord. I want to I lay my life down and allow Jesus to come in and take control of my heart. I want Jesus to come in and take control of my thought processes, of everything that's going on inside me. I want Jesus to be Lord so that I can be certain about eternity. I want that, God. Please come in, take, take all my junk. God, forgive me of all of the time that I've tried to live on my own and allow me to trust you, to take myself off the center of the throne and to trust you. Help me, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, if you've taken that step, and, and uh, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service and just talk about that. If, if that's the first time that you've done that, that's an incredible thing. If you did that a long time ago, if, 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 if you prayed that kind of prayer at some point, if you committed your life to Jesus, were baptized, what we're going to do in the next minute or so is an incredible thing because everything hinges on a relationship with Jesus. And the word relationship ties directly into the word that we use in the church and call communion, right? When you commune with someone, you have a relationship with them. We're going to share in communion in, in just a few minutes um, a, an opportunity to think about what Jesus did for us, to think about the forgiveness that we experience. We're going to do it by remembering 
the body of Jesus that was put on the cross, the blood that flowed from his body on the cross, the sacrifice that he made in taking our sins on himself. Paul wrote these words in, um, in 1 Corinthians. He said this, For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. Hear these words. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the death of Jesus until we see him face to face in eternity. The servers would go ahead and come down as the trays pass. Take the cup, take the bread, and just hold it until you're ready. Talk to God. Talk to him about your relationship with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you've never taken that step, um, just go ahead and pass them on to the next person. There'll be some quiet time with music playing in the background. Then we'll sing as we finish this time of communion.